bodies were lying on the ground, and uh, I, I saw that there were separate legs. Chilling stories as innocent civilians are targeted in Ukraine. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. President Biden tightens the screws on Moscow further. Today, overnight, gas prices went up again. But the war sparking a surge in gasoline prices, how high can they go? I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. It's Friday, March 11th. It has been said that war is God's way of teaching Americans about geography. Surely most know now where Ukraine is and what the stakes are as a Russian invasion enters its third brutal week. The war got worse, more indiscriminate, more terrifying this week as Russian invaders widened the scope of their bombing. We've all seen images on TV now of schools, hospitals, apartment buildings reduced to rubble. What is it like? What is it like to have death rain down upon you? Well, one Ukrainian woman, her name is Yulia Zadanova, a mother told Fox News this story about the Russian bombing of an apartment building in Chernihiv that is in northern Ukraine that Ukrainian authorities and the international group Amnesty International say killed 47 people. We heard a very, very loud explosion and we fell on the floor and uh, the uh, glasses from the windows broke uh, and um, uh, it was such a loud noise. Um, we grabbed our bags and ran outside and we saw that the uh, house next to us, it was in flame and uh, all people who were staying uh, in a chemists in a queue, they were dead. Uh, bodies were lying on the ground and uh, I, I saw that there were separate legs, separate oh arms. There was a body with a head and the head was crying uh, something unhuman, unhuman sounds and uh, uh, we just ran to the next house because it was uh, my parents-in-law house. Uh, fortunately, they were in a basement, but their flat was completely destroyed. My flat uh, is not so destroyed, but uh, it doesn't have uh, some doors, some windows, uh, but still uh, a lot of uh, people died. A lot of uh, a lot of blood was everywhere, and we, uh, we don't have uh, our flats anymore. And uh, in fact, uh, Russians say that it is a special military um, uh, program, but it is not. It is a real awful, horrible war, and a lot of people die, and there are no military objects there. There are only block of flats. There are yeah. only houses. They just bomb uh, hospitals, they bomb uh, schools, uh, nursery schools, uh, houses, uh, and uh, they just don't care. Again, that's a Ukrainian woman, a mother, Yulia Zadanova. Here in Washington, meantime, a senior Pentagon official told The New York Times that some five to 6,000 Russian troops have been killed. As for Ukrainian casualties, well, in one city alone, the southeastern port city of Maripol, the mayor claims 
1,300 civilians are dead, another 3,000 injured. That's just in one city. Such numbers cannot be independently verified, but images of the port city show widespread damage of civilian areas. When will the fighting end? Well, Russia, which continues to downplay, deny, and distort what's going on, sent its foreign minister to Turkey for talks with Ukrainian officials Thursday. Those talks went nowhere. The fighting has caused upwards of two million Ukrainians to flee, the refugee crisis now called Europe's worst since World War II. The Russian invasion, which Russia again still denies, was the focus of a hearing on Capitol Hill this week with the nation's top intelligence officials. Here's CIA Director William Burns. Putin is determined to dominate and control Ukraine to shape its orientation. Um, you know, this is a matter of deep personal conviction for him. He's been stewing in a combustible combination of grievance and ambition for many years. Um, that personal conviction matters more than ever in the Russian system. He's created a system in which his own circle of advisors is narrower and narrower. COVID has made that even narrower. Um, and it's a system in which it's not proven career enhancing for people to question or challenge his judgment. So he's gone to war, I think, on the basis, Mr. Chairman, of a number of assumptions which led him to believe that he faced, that Russia faced, a favorable landscape for the use of force against Ukraine this winter. First, that Ukraine, in his view, was weak and easily intimidated. Second, that the Europeans, especially the French and Germans, were distracted by elections in France and a leadership succession in Germany and risk averse. Third, he believed he had sanctions proofed his economy um, in, in the sense of creating a large war chest of foreign currency reserves. And fourth, he was confident that he had modernized his military and they were capable of a quick, decisive victory at minimal cost. Um, he's been proven wrong on every count. Those assumptions have proven to be profoundly flawed over the last 12 days of conflict. President Zelensky, as, as you've mentioned, Mr. Chairman, as the ranking member mentioned, um, has risen to the moment and demonstrated courageous and remarkable leadership, and Ukrainians have resisted fiercely. Um, second, um, the Europeans have demonstrated remarkable resolve, um, especially the Germans. Third, uh, the economic consequences of the sanctions which have been enacted so far are proven to be devastating for Russia, especially against the Russian Central Bank, um, depriving Putin of the ability that he assumed he'd have to defend the ruble. And fourth, his own military's performance has been largely ineffective. Instead of seizing Kiev within the first two days of the campaign, which was what his plan was premised upon, after nearly two weeks, they still have not been able to fully encircle the city. And so, you know, Putin has, has commented privately and publicly over the years that he doesn't believe Ukraine's a real country. Well, he's dead wrong about that. Real countries fight back. And that's what the Ukrainians have done quite heroically over the last 12 days. Um, as you said, Mr. Chairman, I think Putin is angry and frustrated right now. He's likely to double down and try to grind down the Ukrainian military with no regard for civilian casualties. But the challenge that he faces, and this is the biggest question that's hung over our analysis of his planning for months now, as the director, as Director Haynes said, is he has no sustainable political endgame in the face of what is going to continue to be fierce resistance from Ukrainians. So I think that's what his calculus 
um, has been, and I think the re that's the reality of what he faces today. In terms of casualties, I, I know uh, General Barry may want to comment on that, but there have been far in excess Russian military casualties killed and wounded, far in excess of what he anticipated, because his military planning and assumptions was premised on a quick, decisive victory, um, and uh, that has not proven to be the case. The intelligence community, by the way, which correctly forecast the scale and timing of the Russian attack, now warns that Putin could order the use of chemical and biological weapons. Faith in the news media has been challenged making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. Meantime, the shockwaves from the Russian invasion continue to spread far and wide. Here in Washington, President Biden, whose management of the crisis has been praised even by some Republicans, turned the screws on Moscow even tighter. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. This is a move that has strong bipartisan support in the Congress and I believe in the country. Americans have rallied support, have rallied to support their Ukrainian people and made it clear we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. This is somewhat symbolic. We only get about 7% of our oil imports from Russia anyway, and it can be easily replaced. Canada and Mexico supply America with about two-thirds of our imports. Even before the war, energy prices were rising, but now they're really taking off. AAA says gas is up 60 cents in just the past week alone. That prompted this exchange between Peter Ducey of Fox and White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. You say that you're going to do everything that you can to reduce the impact that high gas prices have on Americans. Uh, we're asking other countries to think about maybe pumping more oil. Why not just do it here? Well, to be very clear, federal policies are not uh, limiting the supplies of oil and gas. To the con let me finish. To the con let me finish. An executive order this Peter, first week I'm that halted new oil and let, gas. Let me let me give you let me give you the facts here, and I know that can be inconvenient, but I think they're important in this moment. To the contrary, we have uh, the, we have been clear that in the short term, supply must keep up with the demand. Where we are, and here and around the world, will we make the shift to a secure, clear, clean energy future? We are one of the largest producers with a strong domestic oil and gas industry. We have actually produced more oil. It is at record numbers, and we will continue to produce more oil. There are 9,000 approved drilling permits that are not being used. So the suggestion that we are not allowing companies to drill is inaccurate. That's a fair point. 9,000 oil drilling permits that are not being used in this country right now 9,000. But people don't know this, they just know that gas is through the roof. A 
Of course, gasoline's not the only thing that's up. Consumer prices are up nearly 8% overall in the year ended in February. That's the highest in for decades. Other economic news, 11.3 million U.S. job openings in January, the Labor Department says, close to an all-time high. The data shows some 4.3 million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs. Quitting your job, of course, is seen as a sign of economic confidence. Something you might have missed, the Supreme Court has allowed congressional maps drawn up in two key states, North Carolina and Pennsylvania, to stand. That's a win for Democrats in both states. It's also a surprise given that the Supreme Court now leans decisively to the right. Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. On the history front, America moved closer to war with Nazi Germany and Japan this week in 1941 when President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Lend-Lease Bill. It allowed us to send military aid to countries fighting those Axis powers. During the war, the U.S. sent today's equivalent of about $1 trillion worth of supplies to Britain, the Soviet Union, China, Free France, and other allied nations. Kind of interesting today, given how we're stepping up aid to Ukraine and NATO allies in Eastern Europe. I like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful this week. It's from Dwight Eisenhower, the five-star general, turned president. And he said, quote, history does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or timid. Think about it. Well, that's all for this week. Got a question or a comment? Here's my email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN, Fox, ABC, and CBS for the audio clips. Our producer, sound designer, and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.